Today's show is brought to you by Fiverr. Fiverr is a service where, frankly, you can outsource a lot of tasks to someone else and have them do it very inexpensively. If you've ever watched or observed the show notes, not the show notes, but the transcriptions for this show, what you'll see is work that's been done by someone I've hired on Fiverr. I've also had uh, editing for my books done on Fiverr. I've had a variety of different functions done there, and I've done it for years. It saves a lot of time. It's very inexpensive, and I'll just simply say, use the link in the show notes. It helps support the advertiser and lets them know that this show has meaning for you. And with that, we'll be back in just one moment. This is No BS Job Search Advice Radio, episode 2150. I'm your host, Jeff Alpin, the Big Game Hunter, and welcome. You know, recently I've been experimenting with taking my longer interviews and breaking them into two, but not this show. I just wanted you to be able to listen through to a pro talk about how to construct stories for interviews. What makes them a pro? Real simple. You'll hear some of his stories, but more importantly, a career writing for television. He's written for many, many networks and has a great professional resume. So this is a, a longer interview with Justin Sternberg. Listen through it throughout. This is one that you should not miss. I know you'll find it helpful, and let's get going. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So my guest today is Justin Sternberg. He's best known as a Hollywood TV writer, having written, developed, and created projects for, it's a good list, folks, Universal, Disney, ABC, NBC, Fox, MTV, TBS, Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, to name a few. And he's here today because he doesn't just do that. Because since the beginning of the pandemic, what he's been doing is giving back and using these skills to help businesses, both startups and, and larger companies, government agencies, ranging from like White House fellows and startups, and a lot of people in the middle to understand how to create messaging and strategy so leaders and businesses can scale, pivot, succeed, and job hunters be more effective. Justin, how are you? Welcome. Um, good. I only wish I had half of your energy. I need to drink three more cups of tea, but I'll get there. I promise. You, you just be as you want to be. It's going to be perfect just the way you are. Spoken like a perfect coach. I appreciate that. Why, thank you. Got the hat on for this and everything. So how the heck did you get into this Hollywood stuff and the other things that you've been doing since the pandemic started? Yeah, I mean, the truth is I wanted to be a professional baseball player. That was my dream and my goal and my desire. Uh, I was lucky. I had two parents who gave up their own personal sacrifice and, and going to Europe and wherever else on vacation to send me to a prep school in a small town in Florida. Um, and so it was great academic school. The surprising twist for most people was it was an amazing athletic school. So my eighth grade year at this prep school, uh, we actually played for the state championship and we played against a guy maybe you've heard of called Alex Rodriguez. 
Um, and so it was an amazing experience. And I, I learned more about myself and my life and everything through this process. Uh, but my senior year in high school, the parents got mad. And they realized that we were spending way too much time on our athletic accomplishments and dreams and not enough on our academic. And so they forced us to take an additional class. And I remember literally being an 18-year-old kid and flipping through the course catalog and I saw playwriting. And I had no desire to be a writer. I had no want to be a writer. Actually, at that point, I knew I was a terrible writer. But all I wanted to do was play baseball. And I thought, as long as I turn in the work, as long as I just complete it, he might hate it, the teacher, but he's got to pass me. And as long as I get passed, I get to go to batting practice. And if I get to go to batting practice, I get to play. And if I get to play, I get to go play ball in college. Uh, and little did I know this one crazy decision changed my entire life. Uh, it was a Broadway playwright who had, was teaching this class. He had graduated my high school 10 years before. They were having their first child. They didn't want to have it in New York. And he decided to give one year back to our school. And he got up there like week six or something. And he said, I'm going to teach you something as a writer that you'll never hear anywhere else. But you have to not only hear it, you have to understand it, and you have to go through with it. A writer does not write what they know. A writer has to only write what they feel. And his point was, if you go through the Civil War, you have a much more emotional connection to it than you do if you just read every book about the Civil War. So he gave us an assignment that Friday night, go home this weekend, find a feeling, find an emotion, and write a play about it. So again, I was 17, 18, one year, went in one year, went out the other. I went on with my life. Friday night football from the South, massive aspect of our life. And we go to the, the state champ, whatever it was, district championship football game. My best friend's the wide receiver for our football team. He does an out pattern in the end zone, game-winning touchdown in his hands, out of his hands, and we lose. And when I say the town went silent, I literally mean the lights went, started flickering, like the electricity went off, like there was not a sound to be heard in a four mile radius. And I went back that night to my friend, Chris, who had dropped the pass, his house, and we were playing Nintendo or whatever we did in the nineties. And there was a knock at the door. And I turned around and I saw his father. And he said, Justin, can I have a minute with my son? I'm like, absolutely, sir, no problem. And as I got up, the belt came off. And as the door shut, I listened to my friend, Chris, get beaten with a, path, a belt for dropping a pass in a football game. And I stood out there, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say. And then the door opened and his father put the belt back on and he said, thank you, which still to this day sends you know, shivers down my spine. And again, 17, 18 year old boys, we go back to playing Nintendo. No one talked about it. And that Sunday, I remembered I had a project to, I had an assignment to write what you feel. Well, all I felt was for my best friend, like what he was going through, what he was internalizing. And so I sat down not knowing what else to do. And I just literally cut myself in figuratively and just bled onto the page of what I was feeling. And I wrote a play about it called Severe Beating. And it not only got a bunch of attention and it got made, the best part was, is it embarrassed the father, even though no name was used. He stopped hitting his kid, thank God. But it also changed my life because I saw not only the power of words, but it got me into the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center in Waterford, Connecticut. So it's actually on O'Neill's property. It's where the best new plays go to be workshopped for four days before going to Broadway. It's De Niro, Meryl Streep, Redford, August Wilson, the biggest names in the world are there. And uh, they take 13 interns from across the world. I was one of 13. I was paired up with the playwrights. And my exact mentor was a guy named Lee Blessing, who had just been nominated for a Tony the year before. And he had an amazing play that summer called Going to St. Ives, 
So imagine a fictional version of Idi Amin's um, mom or Hitler's mom during the genocide. The mom's starting to lose it. You love your kid, but obviously you understand your kid's doing some pretty messed up stuff. And it's a two-person play between the mom and the nurse. And in Lee, the writer's favorite scene, the most powerful moment of the entire play, the entire audience laughs. And Lee was pissed. He was beyond pissed. This was not the reaction he expected. And we stayed up all night and we changed seven words. And the next night, the entire audience cried. And I was sold. I walked up to Lee and I said, I don't know how you did it. I don't know what we just did. But you took an audience from seven, with seven words from literally laughter to tears. This is what I, I want to go do with the rest of my life. And he was like, that's amazing. That's so great. If you ever need anything, Justin, anything, please, please call August Wilson. Don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> The story of your friend, uh, you know, I, I think that's the movie Hoosiers and uh, the scene with Shooter, uh, you know, that character who misses the shot and uh, takes the guilt of the town and becomes an alcoholic in his case. Uh, you know, and, and thus when I think about it in the context of interviewing, there are powerful ways to communicate feelings in interviews. And I'm wondering, you know, like when someone's looking for a job, an employer wants to, to find out whether you can do the job, <laughs> okay? So there's certain objective criteria uh, that need to be met. And I'm curious if you were applying this idea of communicating the feeling uh, into a job interview and telling a story there, how someone might go about doing it. Yeah, it's interesting. Look, if you had asked me this question a year ago, I would have been like, I don't know, I just tell a story. But what actually happened was during the pandemic, a bunch of friends lost their jobs, their companies lost VC funding, or their companies needed to reposition themselves and tell a new story. And so they all called me for this exact question. Like, I need to connect with people in this new Zoom world in ways I've never known before. You know how to tell stories. Will you help me? And I started going like, well, yeah, I guess. And I literally just would write stories for them. But then I started to realize as a parent, as I'm sure you can see, if I just tell them what to do or just do it, they're gonna keep coming back for more. I needed to show them how to actually do it. And so I sat down at my whiteboard and I said, a movie usually has what we call 15 beats, these 15 moments, these goalposts, these, these like building blocks of a story. And every story, whether it's Hoosiers or whether it's your favorite comedy, we're all built on the exact same 15 beats. Why don't we whittle that down really to the most essential beats, which are four. And the four beats are number one. Yeah. Well, if you're talking about yourself, it's I was somebody, something happened to me. I struggled like hell, but I'm better now because of it. And that's an interview. You walk into an interview and people are like, tell me about yourself. And you're like, well, I was born here. I'm, I'm dead. I'm lost. I'm out of it. The minute you go, well, I, it's funny. Like I'm here for a sustainability job. It's like, you know, I was never supposed to do that. Actually, I used to, literally, I was the kid that would turn all the faucets on in my house and water would just come pouring out. My dad would turn lights off and I would turn them on. It was a fight. Like the interview was leaning forward going, wait, what? Like, and then you go, yeah. And then crazy what happened was, is, and you tell a story. So storytelling is everything. And I originally thought, oh, it's just Hollywood and I'm used to it. I became friends with a guy named uh, Dr. Paul Zak, who's probably the top neuroscientist in the world who studies the effects stories have on the brain. And he's done studies where if I tell you the four things that every interviewer wants to hear, right? Like I'm this, I'm that, I've done this. It goes in one ear, out the other. But when you tell the exact same four things, 
but put it into a powerful emotional story that is created and crafted correctly, the brain actually responds to those exact same four things entirely differently. And because of that, you become more willing to listen, more willing to engage, and at the end, actually, more willing to be activated on exactly what you just heard. So if you're in an interview and you're telling someone about yourself and why they should hire you, wouldn't you want at the end the person to be activated on exactly what you've just told them? Of course. And so you have to open with a story and you have to open with what I'm calling your Olympic story, which is why you and what about you is so perfect for this role. And it's changed people's lives. It's been one of the greatest gifts I've ever, that came out of COVID. I, I can't believe how many people I've been able to help and watching, being a little part of their success has been amazing. One of the things I see about you in telling stories is the amount of energy you bring to what you're talking about. Uh, and that jimes with my thinking about the theater of interviewing. And it's not just a, a blank recitation of words. It's about selling the message. It's about communicating in a way that the audience gets you. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, look, I only do things that I'm passionate about. Like I never... I was never a writer that was like, oh, sure, I'll just take that because it's going to pay for whatever. Uh, I had to passionately be excited about it. And so there's a passion behind what I do. And there's a passion about storytelling. And yeah, I think with anything, look, what I think most people don't realize is this didn't come out of thin air in the sense that when I go sell a TV show, I don't hand in a script. You would think, oh, you're a writer. Here's a script. You turn it in. The network goes, yes or no. You actually have to pitch the head of the studio, an idea, one liner, like an elevator pitch. Like, I think the show should be this. And then they go, okay, cool, we'll set a meeting. And then you have to go in and give a 45-minute presentation about the world, the character, the story, the season arc. You've got to base, and it's got to be personal. And so I learned that if I open with, here's an idea about two girls and a guy in a pizza shop, they're like, whatever. But if I open with a true story, I'm like, let me tell you about my uncle who with his two girlfriends opened a pizza shop, people are like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And suddenly, just by telling a true story, people are much more engaged. It, it goes back to the Ethan and, and Joel Cohen theory, which I don't know if you remember the movie Fargo, but mm -hmm. the opening thing in Fargo is this is based on a true story. Well, spoiler alert, it's not based on a true story. It's completely made up. But they realized as kids, when their grandmother would put them to bed at night, when she would say, hey, guys, I'm going to tell you a true story, it scared them to death. And when they just said, hey, I'm going to tell you a nighttime story, they were like, hmm. and they were like, let me prove that. And it, it, it's the most powerful thing. So yeah, I think it's mixing this art of excitement and passion, because if you don't believe in yourself, why should anyone believe in you? But it's got to be authentic. Like none of this is fake. This is how I talk to my kids. It's how I talk to my wife. Um, but, and it's obviously how I sell a TV show because I'm excited about it. And if I'm going to bring it, or I'm expect you to, if I, you're going to show up, I'm going to bring it. Because that's what I would want you to do to me. Excellent. Now, you were talking about the Olympic story. You know, and could you talk about that a little bit more? And what made you use the term Olympic? I tend to think of that as, as a hero story. Is, is it the same thing? Yeah, I mean, the truth is, as a six-year-old boy, I was with my family. We were watching the 1984 Olympics uh, here in Los Angeles. And we were rooting for a famous racer by the nickname of Flojo. And right before the, uh, the gun went off and the race started, NBC, or I think it was NBC at the time, cut to a, a, a little promo about another racer who grew up like two miles from where the, the track that they were actually going on. And she was a girl who didn't have much direction. She didn't know what she was really going to do with her life. Her brother was a massive athlete. He was on a college scholarship. 
Uh, and one day he was on the track practicing, got hit by a stray bullet and died. And she didn't know what to do. And one day she saw his shoes and she decided to lace up his shoes and start running in his shoes in his honor. And she couldn't run. She couldn't run a block. She could barely run, you know, four steps. But one block became two, which became three, which became four. And suddenly she started running in races, always finishing last. She was ripping through her shoes, getting blisters. She was in pain. She was failing. People were telling her, you should stop. What are you doing? And it just drove her. And she went harder and faster and longer and just kept accomplishing it. And now here she was, X number of years later, two miles from the track that her brother had been killed on, racing for an Olympic medal. And I remember like they were like cut from that to like gunshot race. And I went from rooting from this one person to rooting for her. And when she crossed the finish line as a six-year-old boy and she had won the gold medal, I was crying, literally in tears for someone I'd never even heard of two minutes ago, let alone was rooting for or even met. And I realized the power of a story. Stories changed me from rooting from one person to another simply because I, it encouraged me to find a feeling in me that had to be part of something she was part of. And I think everyone needs that in their own story. It doesn't have to be as dramatic, but they need their Olympic story. They need that story that would run on NBC before your interview that would literally make the interviewer go, oh, I'm going to hire Steve. And then you walk in, you tell your Olympic story and they go, screw Steve, I'm hiring you. You've got to get people to root for you. It's everything in life. And an Olympic story at the end can make people not only understand why you're great for this job, but why they have to hire you for this job. I got to pause here for a second. And folks, you know, number one, if there's anything you've picked up on right now, it's that this man has a way of connecting with our emotions, right? And if there's a way, as you tell your story, that's got to have some contextual data to it and some facts to it to give people a perspective on where you started off with and how you got to the end. And there are different frameworks for that that I've covered in many other videos, but bring in the emotional component and don't just recite facts, but talk about some of the challenges that you faced and some of the hell you went through and how you persevered and got to the other side and everyone lived happily ever after. You know, that's the theme of most stories that we watched as kids and it works for us as adults too. So don't neglect the emotional component because he's hammering this thing and making yeah. sure that we get this point across for ourselves. Well, because we've all hit rock bottom. First off, it's too easy in an interview to go in and talk about all the things you've done great. But everyone talks about what you've done great. What we respond to is people that hit a roadblock and, and, and overcame it. Because what's a job like? A job is not, hey, here's all the success and make it better. A job is, exactly, it's the ups and downs. And so if you can ride that up and down, if you can find positive from a negativity in your own personal life, in a previous job, in a marriage, with raising kids, whatever it is for authentic to your story, Imagine what you could do at the job that I'm going to hire you for. You can ride that wave. You can overcome. You'll do it here. If all I hear is success, I don't want people that have only succeeded because you know what? You're ready for a failure. And what's going to happen if you fail under my watch or how are you going to react to that failure? And I don't want to be part of that. And this is the emotional intelligence that you're displaying on an interview, folks. Exactly. I always say to people, what are the three, you read people's stories because I always have them tell me their story beforehand and it's meandering. And they always have like three of the, of the, the catchphrases, like I persevere or, you know, I'm a problem solver. And I'm like, the three things you want to say, you should not say it 
because your story should make me feel it. I should understand it, right? Like in the story about the girl who won the gold medal, you never have to say she persevered because that story just spoke volumes about persevering. But I, she would never in a million years have to be like, I'm persevering. But I felt it. And that's a hundred times more powerful than at the end being like, well, let me tell you the three adjectives about me. Problem solver. God, folks. Uh, and it, the language I've used before with some of you is show, don't tell. It's, you know, get the story to, to illustrate the points so that they get it. And in this way, it's much more powerful than you using the three words. You know, problem solver. Uh, there's another one. Visionary. I love the visionary people. And then I always ask them, tell me about something visionary that you've done. It's the most ordinary thing on the planet. Right. So tell a story that makes people understand it. And, and it's a win-win. And it's a shorter interview. It's a more powerful interview. And science has proven that the person is more willing to remember you. And the brain will actually activate on what you're saying in a more powerful way. And to me, that's a win-win. You betcha it is. I bet you've got some good story formulas that you could share with people on how to construct their own stories. Am I right about that? Or Yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to this notion of every Hollywood movie is 15 beats. And so we, I've narrowed it down to, I mean, the truth is every movie would only need to be three minutes long, but you, you wouldn't be willing to pay $40 for that. So they needed to extend it. So it's like- He's in California, hence the price $40, by the way. Right. Well, but that's why those bad guys close it, right? You ever seen this movie where it's like the bad guy's about to shoot him and then if he gets away and then they have to, bad guys regroup and bad guys- I mean, you have to like redo it all again because, you know, otherwise you wouldn't buy enough popcorn. Um, it, yeah, there's, again, when you're telling a story, an interview story, it, it is four beats. Literally, it is four beats. And I'll say them again. I was somebody. Who were you? Tell me contextually who you were. I was the least likely person in the world to be sustainability. I was the kid that was running the, you know, the running the water or whatever all the time in the house. Or, you know, I worked with a college quarterback for a while who was telling his story. He wanted to get into... Um, consulting. And he was like, I, I can't connect the two. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Your job as a college quarterback was to find holes and find receivers that would fit into that hole. As a consultant's job is to find a hole in a program and find the solution for it. Like, and so we were able to connect that story. But the, the least likely thing a consultant hears is I was a college quarterback. They're like, huh, what this is, what are you talking about? So you have to open with something catchy. You have 10 seconds science says to pull them in. Who were you? Right? which has to be 180 degrees different than who you were at the end. Because if who you are at the beginning and who you are at the end is the same, it's not called a journey. It's actually called standing still. And standing still will bore me to death. So who were you? Something had to have happened to you. If you chose to do it, I don't care. It's not powerful. Something had to have happened to you. What happened to you that changed everything? So for me, I, was, I wanted to play baseball. You know, but then I saw my friend get beat with a belt. That changed everything. What happened to you that changed you? In movies, it's when, you know, the bank forecloses on the house. You lose a job. You catch your husband or wife cheating on you. Something happened to you. This is the pivotal moment in your story. Without this one moment, there is no reason to tell your story. It is the crux of every movie is this one moment. And it is essential to your story. And you, as the hero of your own story, cannot have done it. It has to be done to you. What you will do is later. If you chose to do it, it's not powerful. 
So I was somebody, something happened to me. And because of all this, I struggled like hell. What happened, right? I started a new job. I didn't know what to do. I suddenly realized I needed to go try to help my best friend who had gotten beaten with a belt. I, 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 where do you look? I'm 17 years old. Tell that story. And it has to end with hitting rock bottom. Oh my God, the world was colliding. It was falling apart. There was nowhere for me to go. I was on the bottom. And it's that moment where you think there's no way out. There's no way to overcome this. And people always say, why do I need that? I need it because I need to have this emotional moment when I'm hearing your story to go, you overcame this? How did you overcome this? I need to think there's no way you can overcome. And so that's what we call your path to success. So I was somebody, something happened to me. Your path to success is all the struggles you had. And then who you are now, which is the hero rise. I'm better because of it. I'm stronger. I'm faster. I'm more able to be a part of your organization. I'm perfectly in line with what you're doing because of everything I went through and what I've overcome. I've learned and I've accomplished this, this, and this. That's the part in an interview you list the three things that every company needs or what they want or what they're asking for. You put it there, but it's because of what I've gone through and what I've overcome that I can now make this job so much better for you that you'd be lucky to have me. And what you're basically saying there is this is not just a job. This is not just a career. It is what was perfectly placed in front of me that my entire life is built to, to get to this point that I'm sitting here with you, that you are lucky to have me. And you need to truly feel that. And I think that some of the people I work with are not as passionate about what they do as you and I are. And I'm wondering, is there a way that the introvert, I'm not talking about energetic introvert, but the emotional introvert, the one who's maybe profoundly shy, can do that same kind of a story. Uh, and if you could illustrate something along those lines, um, for those people in my audience, uh, that they could get it. Yeah, look, I've worked with a lot of engineers come to me and they say, you know, I'm up for this job and I, I dream in numbers and you dream in stories. We dream in different things. How do I do it? It, it? Passion is part of it. But obviously, look, if you're interviewing for a coding job and you're going to be in a cubicle, passion's not part of it. That's fine. What I do is passionate. So I don't, you don't have to have as much passion, but I need to understand what brought you here right? Like, and that needs to be part of it. And, and what we like to hear is that people went through a process and a struggle and something that they were tested on. And I don't care if you're an engineer. I don't care if you're a baseball player. I don't care if you are, a, you, you fix staplers for a living. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't even matter if you don't even like it. I want to know what the process was to get you. Why are you sitting here? I didn't call you. You called me. You applied for this job. So why are you here? Well, something brought you here. There's some reason that you are in front of me today. Why? And tell that story. That's and, what's important. And I'm wondering if at the end of this, what a person's trying to communicate is why this matters, why they care. And that has to be, and I know you know the answer, but I'm making sure the audience and that this matters to you so that in this way, you're able to be effective. You're able to be powerful. Uh, you're able to connect with the audience in a way that they feel you, even if you're an introvert, uh, even if you're someone who's very shy and afraid to connect with people for whatever the reason might be. 
look, I, connecting with people and speaking, I mean, there's a reason why, and I say this as a, as a son of an endodontist, but there's like two things that most people don't want, right? They don't want a root canal, which is my father, and they don't want public speaking. Those are like the two nightmares of most people. So um, it's, it's ironic that as someone of a son of, a, of, a, of an endodontist who does root canals, I now do public speaking. Um, it, you know, it becomes the confidence of why you. And, you know, why should you get this job is really important. But if they're interviewing you, interviewing you, there's a bunch of candidates that all can do the job. So it's not that I can do this job better. It's that what I have done in my past has positioned me to a time and a place that I am perfect for this job now in ways that others are not. Because it's not necessarily always I want the best candidate or the person who's best at it. I want the best overall package. I want the person that doesn't pretend like they know always the answer. Right, like I've interviewed hundreds of leaders, and the thing they say the most is they don't need the one that always knows all the answers. They want the one that'll work the hardest, that'll ask when they don't understand something, and that will take ownership of the problem, so that they're not knocking on the door and saying, "What do I do?" But they're knocking on the door and saying, "Here, I completed it." So, what from your past can you explain in a way that shows that you've overcome adversity, that you take on projects, that you conquer those projects? And that you are perfectly aligned for this organization and this company, and that it means something, like you said, to me personally to work here, because this is more than just a job. And I think of the acting that goes along with this and the eye contact that's necessary for it. Uh, so I remind you folks, if this is over video, make sure your camera is aligned in a way where you're looking at your audience in the eye and not having people side by side on your screen so that this way they're looking over, you're looking over to them and you've broken eye contact. Um, you have to be sincere and to convey that sincerity. And as I love to say, risk everything. Uh, if you hold back, you're not gonna make that connection. You're not gonna convey why it's important to you, why this matters to you. And that's really what we're trying to get across. This matters, this job, this career, what you're gonna be doing, it's important to you. And you went through hell to get to this point. You went through failure. You had to deal with, you had to get rescued by the, uh, the cavalry at one point. Uh, and from that you learned, and now you're here. And you wanna take those lessons and bring it to the next organization. Man, yeah, and I, and I want to add to that is really key important. I would say if you take nothing else away from this, you need to understand that not every great story is an effective story. So stories need to have a call to action at the end. And let me tell you the story from my own life. My father, like I said, was a dentist. Uh, he was actually a dentist in the military. Uh, and he was stationed in Korea during the war. And he was on a puddle jumper. And they were flying from one area to another. And suddenly the pilot had a heart attack. And my father being the only one on the plane that had any medical knowledge, again, dental knowledge, but medical in a sense, he had an MD after his, or DDS, which was a doctor of something, ran to the cockpit to say, oh my God, how can I help? And they said, we don't need medical help, sir. We actually need help landing the plane. And so here was my father who had never flown a plane in his entire life. And truly at that point in his life, I think he'd only been on two planes in his entire life and was actually able with the help of the flight manual and the tower and someone else on the plane, they were able to land that plane successfully. And when I say this to people, they're like, wow, that's an amazing story. Your father's amazing. And I say, it is, but why? And I'll ask you this. Why did I tell you the story? There's really no reason to. 
There's not, unless I want to brag about my father, which I love to do. And my father will love listening to this and hearing me brag about him. There's no reason for it because it doesn't have an ending. And yes, it has a Hollywood ending in the sense that the plane lands safely. And that's great. And thank God for myself and my family, my father landed the plane safely. But if you and I are out having a drink, this will win the best story award, right? But if I'm pitching you in a business meeting, this is a complete failure because it's not best story. It's the story that is the most poignant that wins. And so let me explain this to you in another way. Take the same exact story that I just told you and let's apply that to my daughter, true story. At six, uh, my wife and my in-laws both speak Spanish fluently and they wanted to speak to her in Spanish and she would only talk in English. And so we were trying to encourage her that she needed to learn the second language and she refused none of her friends. And no matter what we said or even bribed worked. And I realized, wait a second, I'm a storyteller. Forget words and adjectives. Let me tell her a story. So I told her the story I just told you, which is a true story about her grandfather on a plane. Pilot has a heart attack. Grandpa runs to the front, offers medical help. They don't need it. We need help landing the plane. Uh, but what I didn't tell you, which I told her was the truth was when my father pulled out the flight manual, it was written in Korean. And so exactly, you get it. And so what I said to her at that moment was, is the only reason that I'm here today, which is the only reason you're here today, is that your grandfather learned a second language. And she paused and she looked at me and she goes, okay, I'll learn Spanish. It had a call to action. It had a clear call to action. Every story you tell has to have a need, a want, or a desire. My want for that story was for my daughter to take a second language. The reason I told that story was to emotionally connect with her in a way that she wouldn't just hear my words, which were not working, but that she would feel and understand it and make that decision for herself. That's an effective story, not just a great story. Wow. <laughs> and it's so true. And what haven't we covered today that we really should before we wind up? Look, I, I think it sounds easy. It's not always easy. You know, writers have spent you know, 120 years crafting the storytelling. Uh, I know it works. Science has proven that it works. Um, it's a process. It's not something you can easily just do overnight, but you have to work at it. And I think, and I know that if done correctly, an effective story will move people in a way to hear what you're saying and act on what you're asking them to act on in a way that simply just using words, verbs, nouns, adjectives simply won't. And I, I want to take one piece from that and make it even more pointed for the audience. It takes time to put this together. And if you think you can walk into an interview and wing a story that's going to work for you, you are mistaken. You got to prep this. You got to think about it. You got to feel it. You got to rehearse it. So that in this way, when it comes time that the audience is in the theater, you can deliver your lines in a way that captivates. Exactly. Well said. Thank you. How can people find out more about you and the work that you do, Justin? I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Justin Sternberg. You can email me at Justin at your story rules, Y-O-U-R story rules, R-U-L-E-S. I'm sure you can post it. Uh, I'm happy to talk anytime. It's, uh, it's become an exciting journey and a new chapter of my story in my book as well. So thank you for having me. My pleasure. So that's today's show. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, here are a few things I can do to help you with your job search beyond simply being your coach. 
First of all, I've got a new book out called The Right Answers to Tough Interview Questions. It is like a cookbook with answers to tons of interview questions that you're going to be asked on interviews. And if you pair it up with my other new book, The Ultimate Job Interview Framework, they are a a terrific pair of books to help you with interviewing. In addition, I have a new service where you can practice mock interviews. If you go to TheBigGameHunter.us forward slash mock, I've got a service there, very inexpensive, like $99, where we have mock interviews set up. I'm going to be adding more to it very soon, but you can record your answers to them And then I can critique them and help you perform better on them. You probably have noticed my show notes are pretty thorough with products and services that can help you with your search. And connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash the big game hunter. Lastly, my website has a ton of great information. That's thebiggamehunter.us. Now, if you're not ready to go there and Go through the blog, put the address in your phone, thebiggamehunter.us, Jeff Altman. So this way, when you're ready to go, you have a way of getting back to my website. Hope you have a terrific day, and most importantly, be great! I recently introduced a new service where you can do mock interviews, record them, and practice, and then have me review your answers. It's a service where questions are going to get thrown at you along different topics. You'll record your answers, and I'm going to give you advice about how you could do it better, or give you an add a girl or an add a boy afterwards. So if you go to TheBigGameHunter.us forward slash mock, that's going to take you to the site. And I do hope you find it helpful. It has helped a bunch of people. Now let's get going.